it's a funny thing, you know, when we come here on Sunday mornings, isn't it? You know, that there's a flood of emotions sometimes that we experience when we, when we come here. And it's good. It's a, it's a good thing that we come in here and there, there's like incredible joy, right? And you, maybe you're not feeling incredibly joyful, but you look around and you see somebody else who's just experiencing incredible joy and they're just, they're so happy. Life is great. And, and then others, you look around and you see people in tears, right? There's people who are, who are, they're going through incredibly difficult situations right now and they're hurting. And that's good too, because they're here. And it's, it's a good thing that we have a family like this that we can come and we can both celebrate like those highest highs, like the, the moments you can't wait to share with others. And then also have family that you can come together with and, and share and walk through those moments that you wish you never had to walk through, right? But praise God that we don't walk through these things alone, uh, that we have brothers and sisters to walk with us. But also, I think in being in a place like this, we're reminded that we have a God who not only is there to walk with us, even carry us through some of those difficult storms, um, but he's a God who, who understands the pain that we walk through. Uh, we know that Jesus lived it, right? And so we have a God who can understand and walk with us through that. So, hey, wherever you're at today, I would just encourage you to, to really lean on Christ and lean on one another, okay? Don't, don't shoulder your burdens alone. Uh, you don't have to. Um, so with that, let me, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. I thank you so, so very much that you are a God who understands. You understand the mountaintop moments. I can picture your son Jesus laughing as he watched his disciples pulling in a gaggle of fish over the side of the boat, screaming and watching their nets break, and I'm sure you were laughing at them, and oh, the joy they must have felt in that moment. But you're also a God who understands pain, and I, I, I think of your son Jesus weeping outside of Lazarus' tomb. Uh, I think of the, the pain that he felt with his sisters, Mary and Martha, these, these women that, that he cared so much for and saw the pain that they were going through and, and, and you, Jesus, walked with them and you wept. And I just thank you, God, that you have put us in a family here where we can come together and walk through this with one another. And so, God, right now, I pray that you would meet my brothers and sisters who are carrying heavy burdens, tragedies that are almost unthinkable have taken place this week. And as we've seen the news here just in Maine, just unspeakable tragedies. And we know that those tragedies have hit really close to home for some people here in our, in our church family. And so, God, we just pray that you would meet them right now where they are and, and bring the peace that surpasses understanding to their hearts and minds. And God, would you equip us to walk with them, to be silent when we need to be silent, to be a shoulder when we just need to be a shoulder, to pray when we need to pray, um, just to be present. And words, if there are words that need to be spoken, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide those too. And now we thank you that in here in these next few moments, we are going to continue our study, God, in a, in a, in a, about, about a man who also was acquainted with great sorrow. And we thank you for this story of Joseph, that most of all, we get to see the sovereignty of you and your hand moving in Joseph's life. Speak to us now, grow us, Lord, and change us as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, last week, we began a new series uh, looking at the life of Joseph. Uh, Joseph, the son of Jacob uh, from the book of Genesis. And <clears throat> instead of just jumping right into the story last week, 
I spent most of our time together looking at the greater context of Joseph's story. And I think I told you last week that I wanted to get about halfway through the text, but we only made it through the first four verses. And so then I I did something really foolish. At the end of the message, I said, but next week, we're going to get through the rest of the chapter. That was a really foolish thing to say. Um, Because I'm just going to tell you right out of the gate that we're not going to make it through the rest of the chapter today. Um, We're going to get halfway through the chapter today, um, unless the Lord comes first, which I am totally good with. Um, So if he comes first, uh, we won't. But otherwise, we're going to get through verse 17 today, and then hopefully next week we'll finish chapter 37. I told my wife this, I I roughly thought maybe 13, 14 weeks to get through the life of Joseph. It's going to turn into like 40 at this pace. Um, No, it'll it'll pick up steam. I'm sure of it. So... Uh, last week, we, we followed the footsteps of, of Joseph's father, Jacob. And we looked at his travels from the land of Canaan to the land of Padan Aram. And it was during this time in Haran that God blessed Jacob with great wealth and a very large family, albeit a very dysfunctional family, which we talked about last week. Eventually, however, God called Jacob to pack up his family and to move back to the promised land, uh, to the land of Canaan. And for those of you who were here last week, you'll recall that the the family dynamics of, of Jacob's household created the perfect climate for jealousy, hatred, and conflict to thrive. Jacob had 13 children. He had 12 boys and one girl from two wives, sisters actually, Rachel and Leah, and two concubines, Bilhah and Zilpah, who were the servants of Rachel and Leah. And as if that doesn't create enough of an opportunity for jealousy and for competition, We talked about the way that Jacob showed obvious favoritism and love towards one of his wives, Rachel, and towards one of his sons, Joseph. And this favoritism uh, created a constant source of tension in this family. You just need to know going into this story that this family is like a ticking time bomb just waiting to explode. And last week, in the first four verses of Genesis chapter 37, we read about one of the ways that Jacob expressed his love and favoritism towards Joseph. You remember what it was? What was it? A beautiful, ugly coat, right? It was the coat of many colors. Um, And this coat, uh, you'll recall, was the type of coat that would be worn by people of nobility. It was a type of coat that a, that a prince would wear. And uh, this coat was more than just a kind gesture. This coat spoke of Jacob's plans for his son, Joseph. And Joseph's brothers, they would have seen this coat as a sign that their father had chosen Joseph to be the primary heir over his brothers which didn't make sense to them, right? Because Joseph is the 11th born son of Jacob. And uh, verse four, where we left off last week, says that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, says they hated him and they could not speak peacefully to him. Joseph's brothers absolutely loathed Joseph. Like if he walks into the room, the hatred begins to boil inside of them. But here's what I want us to think about. Joseph's brothers did not start out hating him. It's not like the day he was born, they all looked at this little beautiful baby and said, oh, I just hate him. Just hate that baby, right? It didn't start that way. Hatred is what developed in their hearts because they failed to deal with sins like envy and malice when they first arose in their hearts. I like the way that Warren Wiersbe describes envy and malice. This is what he says. Envy causes inward pain when we see others 
succeed. And malice produces inward satisfaction when we see others fail. Now, it is easy for us to point out the struggle in Joseph's brothers, right? We can see it. We can see envy and malice on full display in, in their lives. But I wonder, I wonder how often we fail to deal with envy and malice in our own hearts. How do you feel when someone else receives a blessing that we would love to have? Maybe they get something that you've always wanted, right? Like a Ferrari or something like that. How do you feel when someone else receives the promotion that you thought you deserved? How does that make you feel? Do we secretly hope that they fail? Oh, we'd never say it out loud, right? That's why it's called a sin of the heart, isn't it? Envy and malice are dangerous sins of the heart that must be dealt with. Joseph's brothers, they failed to deal with these sins and it drove them towards what? Towards anger and hate. Brothers and sisters, sins of the heart need to be dealt with because the problem with sins of the heart is that they never stay there. They don't stay just in your heart. If sins of the heart are not dealt with, they will always make their way out into our lives. We talked about that during the first John series. Sins like pride and self-centeredness, lust, envy, malice. If we fail to deal with these sins, they fester and they grow and they make their way into our lives. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter five, he said that hating your brother or your sister is like what? It's like murder. It's because hatred is the sin of the heart that leads to murder. What's the sin of the heart that leads to adultery? Lust, or could be envy, right? Envy, lust, these sins of the heart, they always work their way out. And so Jesus tells us that in in the case of, of anger and hatred towards our brother, he says to go and be reconciled to your brother or your sister. We cannot give sin an opportunity to grow. And Joseph's brothers, they failed to deal with these feelings of jealousy and anger and hate. And as we move you know, forward in this story of Joseph, we're gonna see that their failure to do so is gonna lead them further down a path of destructive behavior. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 5. Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. It's hard to imagine that they could even hate him anymore, right? He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, we already know, we already know from from just the first four verses that Joseph's brothers hate him, right? We, We know this. We also know that they cannot even speak peacefully to him. They they cannot even hide their feelings. Whenever they talk with Joseph, their words and their tone would be dripping with disdain, right? And sarcasm. You can picture the tension. There's obvious tension between Joseph and his brothers. Well, Joseph has a, a dream. He's, he's had this dream. And, and let's be honest, you really don't have to be a genius to figure out, you know, what this dream is implying, right? It's like, do I really need to go find somebody who can interpret dreams to tell me what this dream means? But Joseph, for whatever reason, um, for whatever reason, I'm just going to chalk it up at least for now to the fact that he's 17 and maybe just a little naive, Okay. But Joseph is excited to share this dream, not with just anybody, but with his brothers. Joseph comes up to his brothers and says, 
hear this dream that I have dreamed. Guys, you are not going to believe this. You've got to listen to me. I just had the coolest dream, but you're going to love it. You are going to love this dream. And then three times, notice in verse seven, three times Joseph uses the word, what does he use the word? Behold, behold. In other words, Joseph is saying, check this out. Listen to this. Behold, this is so exciting. You're not going to believe what happens next. Behold, we, we were all out working together and we were binding our, our grain and, and all of a sudden, behold, check this out. My sheaf, my, my, Joseph, my sheaf stands up straight and tall, right? Isn't that cool? That's amazing. And then as my sheaf is standing there, you're never, you're never going to believe what happens next. Behold, check this out, guys. You're not going to believe what happens next. All of your sheaves, you, my older brothers, check this out. Your sheaves came and bowed down to mine. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That is the best. I love that dream, don't you? Right? Now, keep in mind, Joseph's brothers hate Joseph. They can't even speak peacefully to him, right? I got to be honest. I have no idea what was going through Joseph's head when he decided to do this. Was he expecting a, a different response than he's going to get? I can tell you that I'm in no way surprised by how his brothers respond. Verse eight says that his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? <laughs> or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And again, I don't, I don't know what Joseph was expecting for a reaction, but it is clear that he has only made things worse. Joseph's brothers tell him in no uncertain terms that this dream this dream is never going to happen. They're not, I, mean, I know your Bibles, I know it, there's a question mark there, but you have to read that with incredible sarcasm, right? <laughs> there is no, this is not a question. This is a statement that we will never, ever bow down to you, Joseph. You will never in any way rule over us. As we used to say when I was a kid, keep dreaming Alice, you're still in Wonderland. And keep dreaming, he did. Verse 9 says, Then he dreamed another dream. And lo and behold, it says, He told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Yippee. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, what's really interesting about this dream, I think, is that before it was sheaves bowing down to a sheaf, but now Joseph is front and center, and the sun and the moon and 11 stars are bowing down to him. And uh, I know that before I mentioned that I was going to give him the benefit of the doubt, that maybe Joseph was naive, to share the first dream that he had with his brothers. But I got to say that after seeing their reaction to the first dream, you have to really start to wonder what's going on in Joseph's heart when he decides to approach them with this second dream. Some commentators will go so far as to say that they are convinced that Joseph is sinning here, that Joseph is, is committing a sin of pride and arrogance. And I would say this, Maybe he was. He might have been sinning. I don't know. I don't know because I don't know what was going through his heart. You know, maybe the Lord spoke to him and said, you need to share this with your brothers. And so he's like, I got to tell him, right? God said to. Whatever the case was, the text doesn't tell us why he shared it, but he did. Joseph says, guess what, guys? I've got another dream for you. And this dream is actually a whole lot like the first one, only this time, instead of your bundles bowing down to me, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars are going to bow down to me. Just like the first dream, you don't need an interpreter now to figure out what's going on here. 
But here's something to think about. While we may not know for sure why Joseph shared these dreams with his brothers, here's what we do know. We know that these dreams are from God. This is not just like Joseph's like, boy, I hope this happens one day and he had a dream. Because you know what? We all have dreams like that when we're 15, 16, 17. Like we're gonna, we're gonna grow up, we're gonna conquer the world, right? But in the case of Joseph, we've read the story, right? These dreams are gonna happen, aren't they? So these dreams are from God. They're prophetic about what's gonna take place in the future. And it's worth noting, I think, that the first dream revolves around grain, the sheaves of grain, because grain is actually going to play a very key role in the fulfillment of the dream. So this raises a question of whether or not God still speaks to his people through dreams. And so I want to give you my short answer. Yes, Yes, I, I believe that there are definitely times when God speaks to his people through dreams. I've personally, in my own life, had dreams that I knew were from the Lord. I haven't had a lot of them. It's, it's, it's literally a handful, but I have had them. And, and, and with that being said now, I want to say three things about dreams. First of all, not every dream that we have is a message from the Lord, right? And if you have dreams like the ones that I have, uh, that's a good thing, right? I mean, some of you have very active dream lives, right? You are superheroes and, and like some of you turn into animals and all kinds of crazy, wild, uh, you, you know, dreams. So not every dream, you know, is, is from the Lord. It could possibly be that that crazy dream you had last night has a whole lot more to do with the the, the, the tacos you ate before you went to bed or maybe the caffeinated beverage that you unwisely drank before going to bed. But uh, secondly, we need to remember that God's primary way, God's primary way of speaking to his children is what? It's through his word, right? Through God's word, the Bible. And I think the thing that we need to remember if we're questioning whether a dream is, is from the Lord or not, is to remember that God's word or the dream, if it's from the Lord, it will never contradict what God has revealed in his word, right? And so we always need to, if you have a dream and you're like, oh, is that from the Lord? The first thing we need to do is go to prayer and ask God to reveal it to, is this really from you, Lord? And then we need to go to God's word and check that dream against what God's word has already revealed. And then thirdly, I think that when we, when we believe that we've had a dream that's from the Lord, I believe it's wise to prayerfully consider who we are to share these dreams with and when we are supposed to share them. You know, if God has spoken to you through a dream, ask him to give you wisdom on what to do with that dream. I think sometimes we are way too eager to share everything that the Lord speaks to us with everybody, you know? And I think one of the mistakes, if Joseph made one mistake is this, the dream for Joseph involved his exaltation. Would you agree? Joseph is going to be exalted, but what he failed to consider is what that dream meant for his brothers. That dream meant their humiliation, that they would bow down to their younger brother. Now, it's meant to happen. God's going to do it. But I think it's important when we feel like we need to share something with somebody else to at least pause and ask, wow, if I was in their shoes, how would this hit me? And then prayerfully consider, you know, God, what's the wisest way to share this dream and when and with whom? But I do believe that God does speak to his children through dreams. I, but I don't think that it is the primary way that we are to seek or hear from God. Um, I believe that the primary way we hear from God is through his word and through prayer, and that's the where we should be seeking, seeking him. So Joseph, you know, he's, he's had these two dreams, right? And now after sharing both of these dreams with his brothers, I want to look at how his brothers respond. Verse 10, he says this, but when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? 
Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So Jacob is, is, is clearly a little disturbed by Joseph's dream. In this patriarchal culture, the idea of a father bowing down to his son is totally unheard of. And so Joseph rebukes, uh, uh, sorry, Jacob rebukes Joseph, right? Perhaps maybe for his arrogance or maybe his lack of sensitivity. But notice what it says in verse 11. While these dreams only serve to increase the level of jealousy and hatred from Joseph's brothers, Jacob kept the saying in mind. Jacob was no stranger to encounters with the Lord, right? You know, we, if you go back and read the early parts of Genesis, you'll see that God spoke directly with Jacob uh, on more than one occasion. And he realized that there could be something to these dreams that my son Joseph is having. You know, Jacob's response reminds me a lot of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke chapter two, on the night that Jesus was uh, born, you know the story, right? The angels appear to the shepherds, right? And they're out in the fields near Bethlehem and the angel appears and then a multitude of angels appear. And then the, uh, the shepherds, they go off to see Mary and Joseph and, and this, this newborn savior of the world. And while they're there, the text says in Luke chapter two that they shared with Mary and Joseph the things that the angel had spoken to them. And we're told uh, that in verse 19, Luke chapter uh, two, verse 19, that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She pondered them. And that's what Jacob's doing here. Jacob is, is pondering these things. He's considering them. He's praying about, is this from you, God? Did you speak to my son, Joseph? He kept the saying in mind. Verse 12 says that now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. Joseph's brothers have left the area of, of Hebron and they've taken their flocks nearly 50 miles north to Shechem. That's a long ways, right, from home. There's a few things I'd like to point out here. The first thing is, is the fact that Joseph and Benjamin are not with the other brothers. It is very clear in this family that there is an us versus them relationship between Joseph's children. You have the sons of Rachel, right? Joseph and Benjamin. And then you have all the others. And while the 10 older brothers are all far away from home, traveling with their flocks, they're sleeping under the stars. Jacob keeps Joseph and Benjamin close by at home. The second thing of interest here is the location where Joseph's brothers have traveled to. You may remember from last week in our overview that Shechem is the city where Simeon and Levi, do you remember what story? Simeon and Levi, they killed all the men of that city in order to get revenge for what had happened to their sister, Dinah. And you may remember that after they did that, what did Jacob say to his sons? Oh, what have you done? The whole, all the people in the land are gonna come out against us now because of what you've done. And so he packed up his family where they were living near Shechem and they moved south. And so now Jacob's sons are going where? Back to this area. You would think that this would be an area that they would wanna steer clear of. Nevertheless, this is where they've taken their flocks. Some people think that these brothers were up to something nefarious, right? They didn't want to, whatever they were up to, they didn't want to be too close to home, too close to dad. So they've gone north towards Shechem and they're hanging out further away. Um, that's just obviously conjecture. But they've been, uh, they're gone. 
And, and they've taken off. They've, they've taken the sheep 50 plus miles away. And they've been gone long enough at this point that Jacob is starting to be a little concerned. And honestly, when I read this story, I can't tell if he's concerned about his sons or maybe he's just concerned about his flocks. I don't really know. Jacob's relationship with his sons is very confusing and you'll see that as we continue to make our way uh, through this this story. But it's possible, given where they said they were going, it's quite possible that Jacob's thinking, oh no, exactly what I feared. They've gotten themselves into trouble up near Near, near, Shechem, uh, near Shechem. So he calls on Joseph, his beloved son, to go and check on his brothers and bring, you know, bring back word about how they're doing. Now, I want you to think about this. Jacob is asking his beloved son to travel 50 miles away from home to search for his 10 brothers who hate him more than anything. I, I don't know. It seems crazy to me, right? It seems like an odd thing as as a parent to do. But you have to remember that that God is behind all of this. God is behind all of this. Now look at at how Joseph responds. This is huge. Jacob says this. He says, uh, come, I will send you to them. And Joseph said to him, here I am. There is absolutely no hesitation from Joseph, is there? Nothing, right? Dad says, will you go? I'm right here, dad. It's it's a readiness that Joseph has to do whatever his father is asking of him. And the word that Joseph uses here, it's one word for, for here I am. And it's a combination of two Hebrew words, the word here and I. And combined, these words uh, are, are one word in Hebrew, he, nay, ni. And the emphasis is on the nay, he, nay, ni which in Hebrew is an incredibly powerful word uh, in the Hebrew scriptures. It, it is so, so, so much more than just saying, I'm here, I am present, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right here, dad. No, it, this is a way of, of boldly declaring, I am at your service with an exclamation point. You could put a behold right in front of this. Behold, I'm right here. I'm ready to serve you, dad. I'm all in. It's a powerful, powerful word in, in Hebrew. Um, it's another way that I think that Joseph is a lot like Jesus, In John chapter six, verse 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus lived his entire life in obedience to the will of the father. I'm here to serve. I'm here to do my father's will. And brothers and sisters, this is the type of attitude and the type of obedience that the Lord desires from us as well. He wants us to have the same response to be able to say, Hineni, God, Hineni, I'm all in. I am here to serve. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Abraham declared to God, Hineni. Moses declared to God, Hineni. Isaiah in chapter six, uh, in Isaiah chapter six declared to God, Hineni, here I am, Lord, send me. Samuel, I love the story of Samuel, right? Samuel three times says, Hineni, not to God, but to Eli, because he doesn't realize that it's God who's speaking to him at night. Hineni. Brothers and sisters, are you and am I ready to declare Hineni to God? This is a very powerful thing that Joseph is saying to Jacob. While we were in Israel, uh, Nathaniel uh, purchased a ring, and on that word, uh, on that ring rather, is the word Hineni. It's on his ring. It was engraved there as a reminder of his commitment to the Lord. And while we were in Shiloh, uh, we uh, visited the area of Shiloh, and that's the place where the tabernacle had stood for 300 years uh, before it was moved to Jerusalem. So for 300 years, the tabernacle was in Shiloh. It's the same location where little Samuel uh, would have been sleeping there in Shiloh at the, at the tabernacle. And when God spoke to him, he said, Hineni. And so while we were there, we actually came in 
just like two days after an archaeological dig had happened there. And they believe uh, pretty strongly that they have found the exact location of the tabernacle in Shiloh. Uh, so this just happened that, that week before we were there that this archaeologist, his suspicions were confirmed as they began to dig and the measurements lined up with, the, with what they believed to be the, the footings for the tabernacle. And so they had been excavating over the site of the tabernacle and after the taking out all the, the best pottery and the best finds, um, what the archaeologists will do on these archaeological sites is they'll take the small shards of pottery and whatever they're not going to keep and put in museums, they put them into these little piles. It's a pottery graveyard is what it is. And so our, our guide took us over to the little pottery graveyard and said, I want everybody to find a piece of pottery. And so, um, so we did. And this is a, this is a piece of pottery. It's, it's part of what would have been a handle. You can see, see it's coming, coming down right here for maybe a jug or some sort of a, a pot. And on the pottery, our guide uh, with a permanent marker wrote the word hineni uh, to remind us of, of Samuel's response and also what our response needs to be uh, to the Lord. Uh, so pretty, pretty cool, uh, pretty cool thing. But Joseph declares hineni to his father, I am here, dad, I am all in, send me. And I think that's pretty remarkable considering, you know, the, the journey that Joseph is about to go on. So he heads up to Shechem and in verse 15, it says this, a man found him wandering in the fields. I love this picture. Can you just picture Joseph like walking around in the fields, wandering, he's lost, like where in the world are my brothers? And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I said, I'm seeking my brothers. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they've gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So after a few days of travel, Joseph arrives in Shechem, where his brothers are supposed to be, you know, with their flocks. But they're nowhere to be found. And the text says that this man unnamed, this random dude comes along and finds Joseph wandering around in the fields. And, uh, you know, again, Joseph's just like, I, I don't know where they are. They were supposed to be here. They said they were going to Shechem. I've looked in all the fields that I can find. And this guy says, what are you looking for? And he said, well, I'm looking for my brothers. You know, maybe there's another field that I don't know where it is. Wouldn't you know that God sends just the right person at just the right time to meet Joseph, this guy shows up and he just happens. He just happens to be this one guy who overheard where Joseph's brothers have gone off to, right? He doesn't say, yeah, I was hanging out with them and they told me. No, he says, I heard them saying that that's where they're going. And so God sends this just the right guy at just the right time, and he happens to be present and see Joseph out wandering around in the fields, right? And I don't know about you, but when I look at this, listen, I see the hand of God all over this. You know, God is the one. God is the one who is directing Joseph's life, and he's using this man to guide Joseph towards his brothers. And I know what you're thinking, because this is exactly what I'm thinking. I'm not so sure that that's a good thing, right? Like God is the one who's directing Joseph's steps and he's leading him towards his brothers. And you and I are thinking that, why? Because we have read the rest of the story, right? We know what's about to happen to Joseph when he gets to Dothan, don't we? Well, many of us do. Some of you are like, I have no idea what's gonna happen. You have to come back next week for that, okay? I'll give you a sneak peek. We know, we know that Joseph is about to experience uh, emotional pain on a level that we honestly may not be able to comprehend, at least personally. He's about to experience the, the feelings of, of, of rejection on a level that, that is hard for us to even imagine. We know that Joseph is about to experience what will, listen to me, what will appear, okay? It's going to appear to be the shattering of his dreams. 
right? He had these dreams. The sun, the moon, and the stars are going to bow down to me. The sheaves are going to bow down to me. And what Joseph is going to experience in Dothan will appear to be the shattering of those dreams. But that's because he doesn't know the whole story, right? And if you're anything like me, if you're anything like me, you wish, you wish that you could be there near Shechem, standing on one of those hills, right? You want to be there because you want to yell out to Joseph and say, Joseph, go home, (laughs) right? Don't go to Dothan, you know? Go back to your father. Why? Because we want to spare him the pain that he's about to go through. I, I, think that's, I think that's good. I think it's good that we have that heart, that we want to spare people from the pain that they might have to go through. But here's the thing. For those of you who have read the rest of the story, you also know that God is working in and through all of these painful experiences in order to accomplish his will and his plans for Joseph's life. And it turns out, and it turns out that it's not just about Joseph, is it? This isn't just about Joseph. God is working in and through the circumstances of Joseph's life in order to do what? In order to save a family, this dysfunctional family of Jacob. And God has a plan to take this dysfunctional family and grow them into a large nation, the nation of Israel. And God is going to build that family in the land of Egypt. And from that nation, God is going to bring forth a savior, his son, Jesus Christ. But first, but first, he's going to bring Joseph down to Egypt. And we're going to talk about that next week. But let me close with this this morning. As I was thinking about Joseph and just thinking about him there at Shechem and he's getting ready to leave to go to Dothan where he's going to find his brothers. And I was thinking about just like my desire to somehow spare him from the pain that he was going to have to go through. A couple of thoughts came to mind that I want to share with you. First of all, I thought about my own life and just the painful experiences that I've been through. And I don't, I don't claim to have experienced anything as difficult as what Joseph is going to endure. I, I don't claim to have experienced anything even as difficult as, as what some of you have been through in this past week. But I also was reminded, as I thought about the trials that I've gone through in my life, I was reminded of the way that God used those times to deepen my faith and he used those times to deepen my dependence on him. And as I look back now, as I look back, and again, it's, it's, it's so much better when you're way on the other side of it, right? When you're in the middle of it, you just can't, you just can't see it, right? But as I look back now, I'm able to see that those are the periods of my life where I have experienced the deepest growth in my character as well as my walk with Christ. But I need to make something clear. I am not grateful. I am not grateful for the pain. I think sometimes you hear Christians like, you're going through a trial, count it all joy. Your heart's breaking. Woohoo! Praise the Lord. Doesn't that feel good? Right? No, of course not. We do not have to be grateful for the pain, but I am grateful for what God accomplished through the pain. God does not waste pain. If you put your faith in Christ and you lean into him and you keep your eyes on him as you go through the most painful trials of your life, God will use that pain to build character. He's going to use that pain to build your commitment to him and your dependence on him. He's going to use that pain to deepen your 
faith. And I, you've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. It's, it's something that stuck with me from years ago. I had a professor who said that, that the deepest trials of our lives have, have a tendency to do one of two things in a person's life. They are either going to drive you closer to God or they're going to drive you away from God. And it's, it's, it's never a matter of how hard the pressure is. It's never a matter of how hard the pressure is. It's a matter of where the pressure lies. If you allow the pains of your life to stand between you and God, where all you can see is the trial, then the larger the pain, the larger the pain, the less your eyes will be on him. But if you allow the pain, instead of standing between you and God, to be behind you and pushing you towards God, then the truth of the matter is, the larger the pain, the faster and the harder you will fall on your knees before God. And you will grow. It's never a matter of how hard the pressure is, it's where the pressure lies. I am not grateful for the pain, but I am grateful for what God accomplished through it. The second thing I thought about was a question. Here's the question. Would Joseph continue on the journey if he knew what was about to happen? I raised this question because all the time in my own life, and I'm guessing that you feel the same, you want to know the outcome, right? If I do this, what will the outcome be? right? We want to know not just one step ahead. We want to know five, 10, three months, five years down the line, what's going to happen. And I think one of God's greatest mercies is that he does not reveal what's going to happen. Because I got to tell you, I flee from pain. And if it's going to hurt, I'm going to go the other way. Would Joseph continue on the journey if he knew what was about to happen. Joseph has no idea what's about to happen. He's on a mission from dad. He's going to go, he's going to find his brothers, the ones that one day are going to bow down to him. And Joseph is just, I can picture him whistling and smiling on his way from Shechem to Dothan. Life is good. It's a beautiful sunny day in Israel. And I'm on my way to find my brothers, probably see them doing something they shouldn't be doing so I can go back and tell dad. It's going to be great. Life is good. He has no idea that his brothers are the ones who are going to be bringing back a report to dad. He's not bringing back a report to his father. His brothers are. And it will not be of Joseph's well-being. Would Joseph continue on this journey if he knew what was about to happen. Maybe he would. Maybe his character is so strong that he would still walk through with it. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't have, but here's what God showed me. Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he knew what was about to happen. He knew. And although, listen to me, although he did not want to go through with it, you know that, right? You know that Jesus wasn't saying, woohoo, can't wait, right? That wasn't his reaction. He prayed to his father in the garden. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. The cross wasn't the joy, right? The cross wasn't the joy. He dis- it says in Hebrews 12 that he despised the shame of the cross. It was a shameful way to die, unjustified. He didn't deserve this. But his commitment to do the will of the Father and his commitment to pay the price for our sins to do what? To restore us back into a right relationship with God led him to complete the mission for which he was sent, knowing full well what was about to happen. Jesus went through with it, knowing what was about to happen. What an amazing savior we serve, amen? I'll leave you with this. If you don't know Jesus, If you've never put your faith in Jesus, 
That's literally what he came for. He came so that your relationship with God the Father could be restored. And he willingly endured the cross so that you could be restored into an eternal relationship with God the Father. Will you, the Bible says that if you believe in Jesus, even though you die, you will live. You will live forever with him. That's why he came. That's why he came. And so if you don't know Jesus, you've never received his forgiveness, you've never put your faith in him, then today, make today the day where you say, I'm done being the Lord of my own life. I want to surrender to Jesus who paid the price for my sins. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you after the service, would you please come and talk with me? I'd be happy to talk with you, pray with you, and uh, make this the day of salvation for you. You'll spend all eternity with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, that's where we're going to leave off for today. Uh, Next week, we'll pick up in verse 18, and we might finish chapter 37. At this time, I'll invite the worship team to come up, and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for this life of Joseph. But God, I thank you even more for the life of your son, Jesus. I have no idea if Joseph would have gone through with it, Lord. I know myself and I know for me it would have been more likely that I might have tried to find another way. But your son, Jesus... He loved you so much that though he didn't want to endure the pain, he bowed his will to yours and he went through with it for my benefit, for our benefit, and to bring you glory. And God, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here who does not know your son, that today, that that as you're speaking to their heart right now, that they would make the decision to accept your son, Jesus, the sacrifice he made on their behalf, to surrender to him as the Lord of their life and to receive the gift of salvation that that he has provided through his death and through his resurrection. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your word and we thank you for this day. And God, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would walk out these doors and that Hineni would be on our lips, that Hineni would be on our hearts. God, from the moment we wake up in the morning, God, would you make Hineni the first word that comes to our minds, that we might live as your servants in this world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.